And then England showed up. And I was like, oh, I forgot England was going to show up. I got so immersed, I forgot about the looming specter of colonialism. Curse your sudden but inevitable colonization. Yeah. (laughs) Hello, everybody. I am Blue. I'm joined by Red. Hello. And somewhere off in the shadows is our producer and editor, Indigo. I'm like 90% sure that I saw her event, but I, I'm not going to stake my life on it. Um, and welcome to another episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. This is exciting. Red, are, are you jazzed? I am super jazzed, my dude. This, are you, uh... Are you as this... jazzed as the, like, over 20,000 people who downloaded the first episode? Because, holy crap, team, that was, uh, that was a lot. Like, we knew that, like, you know, people would be into this after our announcement video, you know, made it onto trending inconceivably. Jesus. But, like, yikes. I, uh, I, I'm glad you're all enjoying this so much. What can I say? I, I am yeah. surprised and pleased. I, I don't think it's humanly possible to be as excited as the number of people who downloaded our podcast on day one and then the next few days were do, do we have a final count on how how many downloads that one got because i know it's a ridiculous number that is inconceivable for the human <laughs> mind but i don't remember the exact details mm, did um, somebody ask for exact details somewhere shuddering that numbers can go that high <laughs> i would love some exact details indigo thank you very much yes we we have uh surpassed 24,739 downloads since the first episode went live as of recording the second episode, which is so, so very cool. Um, Thank you, guys. We never expected quite this response to the podcast. Yeah, you could say that. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to file this under nuts um, because, wow, this is nuts (laughs) that this has done so well. The funniest part about all of this is that Blue and I have almost no context for how podcasts are expected to perform. We None. only have the context for how our videos are expected to perform. So when it first showed up and it was like, wow, guys, we've surpassed 3,000 downloads on the first day. We were like, oh, God, only 3,000? Like, is, is everyone feeling okay? But it's like, no, no, no. That's not how podcasts do. This isn't like a YouTube video getting 3,000 views in the first 24 hours. This is a yeah. whole different ball game. So... so- Red, maybe it's possible that we just have the best fans in the world. I, that's my, my scientific hypothesis right now. We'll have to test this by seeing how they respond to more podcast episodes. Yes. Evidence does suggest. <laughs> Woo! Well, um, speaking of uh, our YouTube videos, uh, our <laughs> proverbial day jobs. Uh, Sick segue, bro. moonlighting as podcasters. Um, we've had uh, some fun videos come out recently. We had uh, a video on Hawaii for uh, Indigenous Peoples Day, which at the time of our recording is today. Happy, yeah, it's today. Uh, for all of you belated Indigenous Peoples Day. Uh, <laughs> and then, uh, Red, you had a myth of the Minotaur. Minotaur. Yes. Minotaur, the Minotaur, Minotaur. Uh, And then we had a, a fun little treat in our uh, Ghosts of Tsushima OSP animated. Um, oh, yeah. The second of its name after we uh, started it out with a Shadow of the Colossus one um, last year. Almost a year ago, yeah. I yeah, checked the Yeah, almost time exactly. Time. So uh, I think one of my favorite running jokes from this is that at the end of all these like fun little videos, it's like, oh, you know, regular content resumes Friday. And then in the comments, people are like, guys, do we have to tell Red that this counts as regular content? Yeah, maybe <laughs> just do this instead. What are you wrong? Uh, 
but mm. uh, I, I'm extremely pleased with how the uh, the Ghost of Tsushima one turned out because you know watching the live streams is you know its own barrel of chaotic laughs, but <laughs> you can just like cut all that down. You get from like seven hours of laggy content to uh, <laughs> to like five minutes of just like crisp and pristine, beautifully cut footage. Um, someone in the comments joked that the frame rate on the animatic was the same as the frame rate for the Let's Play, which yeah. which did hurt me. That kind of um, stung. <laughs> but, oh, um, uh, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm super thrilled. What's it like to, to work on those? Because I, you know me, I don't draw. I'm, I'm crap at art. Uh, <laughs> no. What's it like to assemble the, uh, the animatics for that? Well, uh, it's, it's interesting because it's very, very difficult for me to get started on a project. But then when I get started, it is very, very difficult for me to stop. So when I started working on the project, I was like, I have no idea when this thing is going to be done. Like, I don't know, November, maybe December, I mean, probably before the end of the year. And then three days later, I was like, it's uploaded. Uh, but uh, <laughs> Surprise. For, for something like this, uh, just working on the precedent I set with the Shadow of the Colossus animated, which was the first time I'd ever done anything like this. Um, basically, what I started with doing is making the backgrounds. And I just did that with some very simple, basic outline shapes. I mean, if you look at the backgrounds, most of them are just color blocks in like, OK, there, there's a sky, there's some mountains and there's grass in the foreground. And, and that's basically it. So I, I made like, I don't know, 14 or 15 backgrounds for that just you know based on the scenes that I'd already cut and I uh to make sure that I got the color palette and the aesthetic right I was like color sampling from screenshots of the stream which was a little tricky because some of those screenshots were very pixely um <laughs> but then uh it was a mosaic it was a mosaic yeah, yeah it, it kind of looked like it had been censored for indecent content but that's okay <laughs> And what I did then is I kind of sorted out the character designs, which was just a very quick thing of like, okay, let's see what the armor sets in the game are. Let's see what I think Cyan would be wearing. Okay, yeah, this looks good. Uh, and then basically just drawing little figures uh, kind of the same way I would for, you know, any other normal video, just with more colors and more details. And then I'd overlay them onto the background layers, and then I'd like add in a couple sound effects at the end, and it was basically done. It, it really Voila. wasn't... I mean, it, it is energy intensive. Like I, I didn't, mm -hmm. I couldn't hammer it out in a day or even two days, but you know, three days, magic yeah. number. Uh, yeah. And I, yeah, yeah. I think one of the most telling things about, um, about this, this animated video is that on the discord within 10 minutes maximum of the video getting uploaded, we had um, new like discord reaction emojis, like yeah, five emotes. or six of them, like one for Cleo, two for Cyan, like two for me, two for you, Red. It was like there's yep. so many great freeze frames of characters that the Discord mods, uh, our, our wonderful team, was like, no, we have to get this in, like, right this second. And then now yeah. we, have, we have a bunch of new fun uh, emojis to work with over there. So that was absolutely a thrill, and we're hoping to do uh, to do some more of them uh, less than uh, than one year apart. So um, yep. stay tuned for uh, for more live streams and more, uh, more fun stuff uh, in that regard. But Back on the uh, uh, the mainline content that we insist is is only on Fridays. Only on Fridays do you have regular content uh, on OSP. Don't be silly. Yep. Um, yep. First thing we had was a video on Hawaii, which was uh, super fun for me because I had the idea in my head for a while. Um, at the beginning of this year, we were kind of thinking about like a yearly calendar of like, oh, you know, there are a lot of like, you know, important, you know, days in the year that are, you know, historically relevant for, for one reason or another. And, in, in, you know, in January, I was thinking of like, oh, like it'd be fun to do, you know, a Valentine's Day video of like best historical couples but like oh you know february is black history month march is women's history month you know mm -hmm. indigenous people's day is indigenous people's day and columbus can go fly a kite off into the <laughs> middle atlantic and get lost you know so we we're thinking of, of how to to you know augment our usual like halloween um april 
April Fools um, and occasional like holiday stuff with more like you know kinds of of, of like themed and appropriate uh, content for for the date. Um, and I thought, oh, it'd be great to do like an Indigenous you know history every year for Indigenous Peoples Day. And I was talking to yeah. uh, one of my friends, uh, Lady Eris. Uh, you can find her on our Discord. Um, who is from Hawaii? She's an islander, uh, and she was like, blue, blue, blue. Uh, you got to do Hawaii. And I'm like, no, you're right. I totally got to do Hawaii. So I thought that would be really fun to, to start with a story that, you know, often gets left out because, you know, the first one that I had done was the Iroquois a couple of years back, um, which is, you know, one that shows up in American history a lot because, you know, they were bopping around during the revolution um, hmm. uh, before the history textbooks forget that Native Americans existed. So I thought that Hawaii would be really uh, cool to go, you know, way the hell west onto the other side of uh, of uh, America, so to speak, and then to yeah. uh, um, to start with them, and I was really glad at the uh, the response that people had. Um, you know, it, it was it was new for me, but it was really cool to uh, to go into the Pacific in a way that I you know never really had done before. So I was yeah. super pleased with how that turned out and, and and the response that I got. Could I, if I could interject, because uh, when you sent me the script for this, I was like. I here's the thing. Blue sends me a lot of history scripts to read over, and the thing is, I have never been good at like studying history. I I know a few things, but most of the world is kind of a kind of a mysterious fog to me. So I, I'm always surprised. If they don't have myths, it didn't happen. <laughs> That's really my vibe. And it's like if it's not directly related to a myth I was researching the context for, it's not going to stick in my brain. George Wash who? I don't know. Anyway, so it's just a mess. But like this means that whenever Blue sends me one of these scripts, I'm always like pleasantly surprised and kind of blindsided mm -hmm. by the stuff that happens in it. So he sends me this Hawaii script and I'm reading through it and I'm like, oh my God, this is this is so interesting. I, I didn't know any of this. What? Everyone keeps calling uh, Kamehameha the first king of Hawaii, but he's just like the first king of this organization of Hawaii's government. They had tons of kings and queens before that. This mm -hmm. is so fascinating. And then England showed up and I was like, oh, <laughs> I forgot England was going to show up. <laughs> I got so immersed. I forgot about the looming specter of colonialism. <laughs> So. Curse your sudden but inevitable colonization. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. God. And that's actually one of the things that I was really happy with, um... Uh, my treatment of the script, not to, to toot my own horn too much, but <laughs> in, in a lot of narratives about like native peoples and colonization, and I am very guilty of this in some of my earlier videos <laughs> and even some of my more recent videos where it's like, oh, look Fuck at how yeah, Roman awful. imperialism. Yeah, it's like, oh, look at how awful, you know, these, these colonizing powers were for coming in and doing all these terrible things to this local people. And then you don't end up talking about the people who were there. It's just like, oh, look at how bad mm. it was that bad things happened to them. But you're never given the context of, like, who these people were or, you know, what they were up to, you know, beforehand that it it, it sells what I, I've read as um, the... Um, ah, oh, there's a word for it. It's like the... I think it's like the, the, the Terminator um, narrative where it's like after contact was made in like 16 whatever or uh, 1492 duh like after contact <laughs> was made in 1492 they were all goners living on borrowed time and that narrative Ooh. even when it's not meant in an insidious way is still kind of pervasive in historical treatments of you know native peoples all around the world so i wanted to really try and avoid getting into that so when a lot yeah. of histories of hawaii are like oh look at how awful america was for annexing it and it's like well yeah but like there's like 1700 years of stuff up before that that we can't just you know forget about so i thought that giving the the context of polynesia which is often left out of 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 other um you know uh online summaries of of, of hawaiian history i thought would be a really useful like point of connection for 
um, for, for grounding the history and giving a really like nice long look at the stuff because I really like doing like, here's a place. Let's look at all of the things that went down over the span of like 2000 <laughs> years. Um, Actually, uh, I, I have another script like that uh, in the works um, right now. But uh, yeah, yeah, I think um, it's, it's a difficult balance to, to make, but I'm really happy with, uh, with how it turned out. And I think the response from people who didn't know about the history and from people who are from Hawaii was, uh, reinforcing like, no, that was, that was a good way to do it. Like, you, there, know, uh, you, you hit the balance. Okay. There's something very interesting about that framing that you were talking about. Um, which is that essentially, uh, there's a lot of histories written about colonization basically mm -hmm. by that colonial power, you know, a few hundred years yeah. down, the down the line. And some of them, uh, some of them, you know, mostly England, kind of gloss over the horrible bits and are just like, and then we civilized them. And moving France. on very rapidly. Yeah, people yeah, usually France. give France a pass for losing, or people usually rag on France for losing. No, no, no. I rag on France for when they were winning. <laughs> right. But what I mean is that, like, in yeah, English yeah, yeah. schools, they straight up do yeah, not teach yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Sorry. And, I, uh, I wanted to make sure that all of our colonial powers are given their appropriate whooping. <laughs> anyway, um... Basically, what this means is that you end up basically framing this in terms of the colonial perspective, which is mm -hmm. we showed up, we found some people, we uh, stomped all over them, and we kind of feel bad about that now. And it's like, cool, that is fascinating. What is their story? And that's the thing. Yeah. That is the angle that never gets told. Because I think that there's a lot of people who talk about how, you know, colonialist narratives are eh, because they make me feel bad about stuff that I had no role in. You know, like, uh, mm -hmm. it's, it's all about that guilt and stuff. And it's like, yeah, you're going to feel guilty if you just frame it in terms of, we did a bad thing, but you're not the important part of that story. The people who the bad thing happened to are significantly more centralized than mm -hmm. essentially the inciting incident of colonialism rolling up and stomping all over them. So yeah. when you frame Hawaii in terms of this culture that had grown and, and blossomed and done all this cool stuff over the last, like you said, like 1700 years, and then it's like, and that's when England shows up. We're like, oh no, I know how this part goes. And instead of it being like, that's right, colonialism was a bad thing, but it's also the only thing you're ever going to learn about. It's more like, it's like watching a Greek tragedy play out. Like, you know yeah. it's not going to end yeah. well. You know what's coming because you know the character that just rolled up. Like, Agamemnon just showed up. We're in for a bad time. Yeah. England just showed up in their big old boats. We're in for a bad time. But that's the thing. Like, it. I, I'm trying to figure out a way to say this that doesn't make me seem like a jerk. But uh, if you look at this from a story perspective, from the framing of that, the, the framing of colonialism in history is frequently basically, this is a bad thing that happened to these people who you know nothing about, because all we yeah. will tell you is that a bad thing happened. They are essentially faceless yes. victims. But if you are writing a tragedy and you want it to be effective, you let us get to know those people. That's the point. It's a tragedy mm -hmm. because of what gets lost, what, what amazing things those people had and the, the potential and the things that they had done that just get lost and destroyed because of this tragedy. And if you just frame yeah. them as faceless I, victim, you lose all the actual tragedy yeah. of the story. Exactly. I would say two things. One is that the cool thing about uh, the history of Hawaii in particular is that even after, you know, contact was made, like things were still happening. Like it was after contact that the kingdoms formed. It was after right. contact, you know, that like all the stuff with religion happened. So there was still like things happening in a way that wasn't just like purely negative. But then read to your point and jumping back to the last episode of the podcast, the difference mm -hmm. in framing is the difference between a tragic story and a grim dark story because mm. the, oh, 
the colonizers showed up and then it was just, you know, a bloodbath from there. Oh, what a shame for these faceless victims. That is a grim, dark story where yeah. there is, you know, no redeeming value to be found versus a tragic story where we are, you know, understanding the perils of this, you know, protagonist culture. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't want to get too far into this, but I think this That's is a, a really, really good example angle. of the uh, the way in which I have been able to improve my own treatment of history in a way that, you know, like a year ago, six months ago, India part three, I wasn't even <laughs> able to uh, articulate in, in, in that kind of way. So um, I appreciate when uh, people give me feedback on like, oh, you know, you could have done this better, Blue. Uh, I'm like, I, I do appreciate that. I do listen to it and try to improve. So um, I like to joke that uh, although my, my early videos are pretty much universally garbage, uh, I've had a little bit of a glow up uh, in the time since, I like to think. <laughs> <Glow up. laughs> How it started, how it's going. Yeah, like level one, level 15. Uh, but anyway, mm. Red, um, on to less uh, um, confusing and uh, colonial subjects is uh, your video on the Minotaur. Um, yeah. That's a fun story. <clears throat> it is. Um, the first fun thing about that is how I had to record the script twice because I was like, wait, have I been pronouncing Minotaur wrong? Like Minotaur? And then I looked it up and I had, so I had to re-record the whole oh. thing saying Minotaur instead. <laughs> But then it turns out it's like, people say it all kinds of different ways. I probably didn't need to worry, but I didn't want the people well actually me in the comments when there was much more interesting stuff to talk about. So anyway, um, but yeah, the uh, the Minotaur myth, uh, I think, I mean, the thing is, I, I almost keep shying away from handling like the classics because in my mm -hmm. head, they're the ones that everybody knows. And then in actuality, <laughs> that is not even close to true. Um, mm -hmm. because even, you know, I, I know a lot about mythology and even then when I look up this stuff, I'm periodically like, wait, his name was what? Or hold on, <laughs> that happened? So, you know, it's, it's that, but then there's also like, this is a space that I've kind of been immersed in for a while. In my head, it doesn't make sense that there are people who do not know the basics of mythology and stuff. And I, I had a mm -hmm. somewhat, uh, awkward conversation with a, an extended family member at a wedding a year or two back, uh, where I was like, oh yeah, you know, it's, uh, how, how do I explain my job to this person who's never met me before? Oh, uh, well, you know, I kind of make like videos, like educational about, you know, mythology. She's like, oh, uh, what's, what do you mean mythology? And I was like, how the fuck do I start? <laughs> oh, you know, like the Greek gods? Well, there's more of them <laughs> and there are stories about them. And she's like, oh, I think I had a book about that once. And it's like, okay, <laughs> let's just move this conversation. I don't think we're going anywhere good. But anyway, uh, so the Minotaur uh, is this interesting subject because in my head it's really simple because all of the um, all of the hero versus monster stories are kind of basic in the format. It is basically monster causes problems, hero shows up with a little bit of divine help usually, and kills the monster, and then that's it. And that's how they all get framed. You know, it's like, oh, Theseus and the Minotaur, Perseus and the Medusa, Heracles and everything Heracles ever did. And um, that's not really how this goes, because when I ended up researching the Minotaur, as you could tell from the video, I found a lot of very weird cultural context. Uh, yeah. And it turned out that it was essentially, as far as anyone can tell, kind of propaganda against a nation they really didn't like and also mm -hmm. wasn't really around anymore to defend itself. Uh, yeah. The, the Minoan civilization is so mysterious. I, I was genuinely upset that I didn't know about this before because it's like, wait, we have this whole culture and we can't read any of their writings and they have so many writings? What? <laughs> so, yeah. 
Yeah, and uh, one of our uh, one of our mods, uh, the Indomitable Sark, uh, messaged after the video went up and was like, "Hey, yeah, you, I think you handled this really well." He's a uh, like a legit archaeologist and stuff, right? Yeah, like, expert the in the Bronze Age. Yeah, yeah. Um, like yeah, sometimes he'll be like, "Sorry, my internet's spotty. I'm in Egypt." <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, I'm just hanging out in the Valley of the Kings. I'm like, Jesus, Sark, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, "Yeah, we're having some trouble with the border guards because some idiot stole some artifact or whatever." And it's like, "Oh, okay. Can we like swap lines?" Your life sounds really interesting. Um, like, stop moderating our server. Go to work. <laughs> yeah, oh, my God. Uh, no, he's the coolest. And he messaged after the video went up and was like, yeah, it was really cool. Uh, and we, we just ended up kind of talking about how if you look at this story through the lens of, you know, Mycenaean Greece or, or you know, ancient Greece telling stories about the Minoan civilization that dominated the oceans and piracied a lot and they really didn't mm -hmm. like them, it really kind of reframes a lot because then you're like, hmm, yeah. it is interesting that... They were like, yes, and then their queen uh, totally boned this animal. How grotesque is that? And it's like, yeah. Greece, ancient Greece, the view must be great from that glass house, but man. <laughs> uh, and, you know, the, the stuff about how there's minotaurs in Greek art from, like, pretty much minute one, but there's no minotaurs in Minoan art. It's not yeah. a Minoan symbol. It's a Greek symbol about the Minoans, and that is really interesting. And um, yeah. the Minoans are almost completely unknown, except in how other civilizations didn't like them. And that yeah. is really interesting. Mm -hmm. it's, it's like and all we have. Oh, specifically, I'd say like with Athens, because, you know, in, in the video you say like, yeah, you know, 12 Athenians every year have to go get sacrificed. Like there are so many places that are closer to the island of Crete than Athens. Like there's the whole Peloponnese. There's all of like the Cyclades and Dodecanese. But mm -hmm. the myth was written by Athenians. So it's like, yeah, they took 12 Athenians and nobody else. It's like, it, this was yeah. an everybody problem, but the version of it we have comes from Athens, which is why worst boy Theseus ends up in the starring role. <laughs> oh, um, Theseus. So yeah, I mean, it, it's it, just to, you know, further your point, um, it's, you know, ancient Greece versus uh, the Minoans. And then beyond that, it's Athens as a subset of ancient Greece versus the Minoans trying to establish themselves because Athens was kind of like the the runt of the city-state litter for a very long time. Like, you know, Athens is mentioned offhandedly in the Iliad. Like, mm -hmm. I don't even think it shows up in the Odyssey. It was a nowhere place for a very, very, very long time. Um, yeah. So, like, the most ancient-y stuff has, you know, no trace of Athens anywhere. And then in the 5th century, it's like, look, guys, we exist too! Because, you know, after they, you know, got on the scene and started like mining silver and building ships and whatnot they're like no way wait, wait, we have to we have to make ourselves look older and more important than we've ever been uh Ugh. brb uh but yeah and they picked theseus of all people they didn't it's have a like... choice dude there was no one else there was literally Ugh. no one else well they couldn't at least they like had. they couldn't overwrite the bad stuff they couldn't be like no his dad died for other reasons than theseus being an idiot and oh no i mean they tried they they tried yeah. i mentioned it briefly in the video that um when Theseus abandons Ariadne on Naxos, uh, there's uh, there's several versions of the story that add in mm -hmm. a god, a, one of several gods, showing up and being like, Theseus, thou must totally ditch thy girlfriend. And he's like, oh, this is really hard for me because I'm such a good person, but I can't deny the gods. And then he leaves her there. And it's like, oh, yeah. how tragic. But like... Here's the thing. When you have multiple versions of a myth, usually you can find the original version of the myth hidden in the central part of the Venn diagram of all those versions of the myth. And in this one, the only thing that is consistent across every version is that Theseus leaves Ariadne. The inconsistent part is 
Does somebody tell him to do it? Who tells him to do it? Sometimes yeah. it's Athena saying, but thou must. Sometimes it's Dionysus yeah. saying, she's totally going to be my girlfriend. You got to drop her, man. And it's like, come on. It is really, really clear that that's like somebody being like, no, no, guys. Theseus can't be a hashtag problematic fave. He's a... Uh, he, he was only doing what the gods demanded, which is the best thing that a Greek person can do ever, right? <laughs> so. I'm just imagining, God. like, some Spartan scribe hears that, you know, Athens is, is really trying to, like, push the Theseus narrative, and the Spartan scribe is like, oh, you picked Theseus. Oh, boy, do I have something to tell you? And then he starts, like, furiously writing down all the nonsense that Theseus got involved in. God, uh, Theseus. Okay, I, I mentioned some of it in the video, and some of it was brought up in earlier videos, but Theseus is really, like bottom tier Greek hero. Like I saw a few people saying that Jason of Jason and the Argonauts is probably worse. And I think Jason is dumber, but Theseus is more actively <laughs> malicious. And in my book, that's more important. You know, like yeah. Theseus, uh, the, the whole thing with the Minotaur is basically the only good thing he does. And he does it for, you know, good reasons. He's like, oh, they're sacrificing Athenians. This cannot stand. I must kill the beast. And then, you know, a few people were like, but what if the Minotaur was just misunderstood? And then Theseus is the bad guy in that story too, which is hilarious. Yeah. Um, but, you know, then he, he sails away with Ariadne and also uh, Ariadne's Wait, red, uh, sister. Red. Theseus yeah, is yeah. Gaston. <laughs> he really gives that vibe. <laughs> uh, oh, God. Too bad his name doesn't scan very well for the song. Um, project for later. But, uh, yes, Theseus oh, as Gaston. Uh, and the thing with that oh, is that... Oh, we figured it um, out. We did it, team. All right, everyone go home. <laughs> mystery solved. But, yeah, he, he oh, sails away man. with Ariadne. And a few people pointed out... Phaedra is also on that ship, Ariadne's younger sister and Theseus's future wife and stepmother to Hippolytus, a.k.a. that lady who in the Hippolytus myth gets like bewitched by Aphrodite and has Hippolytus killed by Theseus because he's an idiot. Um, so, yeah, basically he ditches her sister and then marries Phaedra. And it's like, wow, wow, he's the worst. But then it just keeps going. He's like when he sails off, his dad is like, Theseus, my son, I cannot bear the, the 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 anxiety of waiting for you to come home safely so when you sail back uh have, have your sailors if, if you're alive raise white sails so i know you're safe but if you're dead raise black sails so i i know you're dead and i can get all my grieving out and he's like okay dad i won't forget this extremely simple detail and then when he's <laughs> sailing back he fucking forgets and he leaves the black sail up and his dad is like no my darling boy is dead and fucking kills himself before theseus gets home so it's like yeah. congrats theseus you dingus so that just, it just keeps going. And then there's the bit where, like, his his buddy, um, damn it, what's the, uh, the idiot, the one who was Pirithus? like, I'm going to marry, yeah, yeah, Pirithus, Theseus and Pirithus. Pirithus is like, yo, bro, I'm going to totally kidnap and marry Persephone. Nothing could possibly go wrong there. And Theseus is like, hell yeah, my dude. And then they go off and it goes terribly because of course it does. And then they're stuck in the underworld until Heracles comes down and rescues Theseus. And it's just like, oh, and my favorite part about that is how the comment section helpfully informed me that this was used to explain why the, the, uh, the line of Theseus has extremely flat asses because he left half the cheeks on that chair that he was fused to in the underworld, which is hilarious. What? Because that means that that's, that's Pirithus's only company for the rest of forever. Theseus's severed butt cheeks. Wow. Yeah, it's insane. Uh, so yeah, Theseus is a garbage boy, and I don't know why Athens didn't like rewrite him to be cooler or you know, give him credit for other stuff, because he's just the worst, man. He's terrible. He has like no redeeming qualities. But Red, maybe they did, and this is the version of Theseus that does suck less. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. Oh, gosh. It, it's, it's a, a shame that um, 
in the the Peloponnesian War, there wasn't more of like a propaganda campaign against like, oh, your god sucks. No, dude, like your god sucks because in the um in the last Roman civil war between Antony and Octavian, later Augustus, there was this huge like subtext of propaganda war between the two of them because like what was it um mark antony like hitched his horse to heracles and then mm. octavian put out all this propaganda about how heracles sucks and Whoa. is dumb and how you shouldn't like him and oh then he was God. like oh look at me like i'm apollo and you know then marcus antonius is like what 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 do we have on apollo what do we have on apollo how can we smear him <laughs> so it's just like this propaganda war back and forth is as like the undercurrents to like them actively trying to murder each other for uh the chance to be the roman emperor so yeah, um, it's a shame that the the Spartans and Athenians didn't do that. Is what I'm well, saying. Actually, actually, there appears to be some evidence that that kind of happened, and um, I didn't really put this together until I put out that um, that that video about Ares getting kidnapped by giants. Because a lot of the people in the comments were like, you know, Ares was the patron god of the Spartans. It does make sense that the Athenians would write him as this dumb idiot, meathead, lunk murderer. You know, it does kind of track. And I was like, fuck, it does kind of track. Um, well, no, I am but still... that goes back to Homer. He was a dunce yes. in the Homeric epics, too. So, yeah, right. that, I mean, maybe Athens was pulling on a thread, but, like, there was precedent for Ares being a dummy. There was precedent for Ares being a dummy and nobody's favorite Olympian, but, you know, like, the Spartans yeah. did like him since pretty much minute one, and the Athenians yeah. didn't like the Spartans since pretty much minute one, and they were the yeah. ones writing down most of the stuff. So it, it does yeah. track. I am still in team Ares as a lunkhead because, you know... It, just trace the etymology he does mean ruin or bane so it's like yeah i feel like this god is maybe not the coolest god that everybody likes um anyway yeah, yeah. so the minotaur video was really interesting i actually want to give a shout out to to something that a lot of the comments pointed out that i didn't know about which is the minotaur had a name uh and and his name was asterion or asterius meaning huh. child of stars which is really interesting and also ties in with some some stuff i was researching about Taurus and other such zodiacal constellations, but that is a conspiracy theory for another episode. Um, but <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, Asterion, and there's a there's a lot of stories reimagining it from the Minotaur's perspective and like humanizing him. Um, and I, I just think that's really interesting because you know we may have made the Gaston connection, but a lot of people have pointed out that a guy showing up and murdering you in your own house because you're ugly doesn't exactly a hero make, you know? Yeah. Anyway. Um, Man. Yeah, so I, oh, I think that's basically we, we, our recent... We had some winners these past two weeks. We, we had yeah. some real good videos. I mean, we're going to say that every week because, hmm. like, I think we make good videos. But yeah, like, go us! I, I was really pleased with the past two, uh, past three videos we had. Oh, I um, sprained my shoulder patting myself on the back on that one. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, let's see. Um, that's that. Uh, real quick, um, for anybody who, speaking of of Aries, that, that lovable oh, yeah. lunk, um, for anybody yeah. who uh, ordered those pins, uh, thank you so much. We were, again, thrilled with uh, the response to those. Um, uh, first, the, the Artemis and Apollo pins, which quite legitimately, like, slightly terrified us um, yeah. how much uh, uh, you all were excited about those pins. Um, but uh, because there are so many pins to make, uh, they're taking a little bit uh, of time. Um, uh, China's Golden Week is happening right now, so you should get those uh, mailed out to you for any of you who ordered them um, soon, a couple weeks, hopefully. Um, but since they are pre-orders, we only start making them. Uh, after all of the orders close once we get, you know, a number of how many to make. So um, I, I do very much appreciate uh, all of your patience, uh, those of you who are uh, ordering the pins. And once you get them, I hope that you uh, sincerely uh, enjoy them as, as much as as much as we're enjoying them. Because, oh, man, yep. I'm looking at the uh, the Artemis and Apollo right now, and damn, those are some good pins. 
<laughs> and uh, if you missed them and you 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 want them, uh, we're going to be doing a re-release later. Uh, more details closer to the actual day. But yeah. Yep. Yeah, we're doing yep. a a limited uh, re-release um, uh, at the end of uh, November for like a kind of Black Friday dealio. But uh, more on yep. that when we get closer and actually have details on that. So, um, is there anything else that we need to uh, to, to housekeep, oh, or are we ready for some uh, some Discord Q and As? I think we are ready for some Q and As. All right. Well, with that concluded, let's jump into our Q and A for episode two of the OS Pod. Uh, before we get to the questions, I have a little bit of housekeeping on the Discord side. As you guys have probably been aware, Ask OS Pod has been opening and closing and opening and closing again. And it's been to mediate how many questions are coming in and to make sure that we can get to the questions that come in. I read everything that you guys post in there. Uh, I've been really impressed with what you've been posting and I want to get to as many as possible. But since we've had a reasonable flow of questions recently, people haven't been spamming. You guys have been really great about spacing out when you ask questions. We're going to leave the channel open all the time from this episode forward. So if you want to drop a question, you can go right into the Ask OS Pod channel any time of the day and drop that cue. Um, I do ask that you continue to avoid spamming the channel. Um, please don't use that chat for conversations. Just use it for dropping your questions. And if you see someone who's already asked the question you wanted to, give their question a thumbs up. That helps me know that those are the questions you guys really want to hear answered on the pod. Um, but in the meantime, thank you for all the great cues and let's get to some A's. This first question comes from one of our lovely patrons. If you want to join the OSP Patreon, there is a link in the show notes. It's a really great way to stay engaged with the community, get a little extra bonus chibis, I believe, um, is one of the rewards. And it also means that your question might be the first one read on the OS pod. So uh, this question comes from our patron, Queek the Elder, for both. What's your favorite bit of obscure history and or literary genre you're sad people don't talk about more? Anything from general, say, forgotten agricultural methods, hidden bits of queer history, to even specific events or books. So what's something that's obscure that you wish people kind of talked about more? Huh. Oh, that's tricky. I mean, off the top of my yeah. head, it would be that, like, gay people existed before 1950. <laughs> Um, uh. you know, that, uh, that subreddit Sappho and her friend, um, uh, <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, yeah, I think in general, That's a big uh, one. <laughs> the, the basic framing of history as all being like, how do I phrase this? Um, there's this general idea in a lot of areas that history was extremely simple and we've only recently made it complicated. Mm -hmm. And that overall is just dumb. And yeah. a part of that is, uh, for some people, the existence of people who they don't particularly enjoy thinking of as people. And they're like, no, everyone knows that the gays were invented in 1957 and I don't have to acknowledge anything earlier than that. And it's like, you, yeah, that's it, buddy. Heracles was just boy pals with all those guys. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's just... But that's not even, like, obscure. That's just in plain sight. People I mean, just yeah. don't like thinking about Depends it. Depends on who you ask. I would also say that, um, I mean, my joke answer was going to be the Byzantines, but that's my my own rage for another time. Um, but yeah. jumping slightly back, like, you know, people think of the Roman Empire as, like, you know, white marble statues with white marble citizens. Um, but really, <laughs> there was so much diversity within the Roman Empire because it was, you know... Western, Northern, Eastern Europeans, North Africans, um, people from the Middle yep. East. There's, you know, there was this um, this thing that went slightly viral uh, like a couple years ago about um, like a textbook that had a picture of a scene set in Roman Britain. And some people were very uh -huh. alarmed to see 
black people were there. And a Roman historian chimed in to be like, here are all the reasons that the Roman Empire was so much more diverse than you would ever have imagined if you just, like, thought that the people looked like the statues do. Um, there yep. was a, a very recently, actually, there was a, um, a project of someone who took facial scans of the statues of every single Roman emperor and, like, you know, colorized and, like, made, like, real-life-looking versions of them. There are some, like very non-standard of what you would imagine a Roman Empire to look like people. There are people from, you know, Arabia and North Africa and, you know, way the hell farther east than you'd think. It's like there was a surprising amount of diversity of what Roman emperors looked like, and that's just the emperors, not even, you know, accounting for everybody yep. else. So I think one of the, the most, you know, underlooked parts of history, no matter where you are, Rome's just one that I know well, is that there is always so much more diversity in a place than you would first imagine, even when it's, you know, a small place that, you know, you think, oh, like, this is Renaissance Italy. There were only white Italians there. Like, no, buddy, <laughs> uh, not a chance. So um, yep. that's uh, that's <laughs> what I would probably say is, is diversity of people um, uh, within historical settings all across time, all I around mean the world. The fact is, you cannot have an empire with any kind of external trade that doesn't end up picking up stuff from the outside. There has never been any kind of, like, even moderately successful trade empire in the world that hasn't, like, picked up people and, and like... Because, you know, if you send people out, sometimes those people fall in love with other people and have families with other people, and then you get other people. How crazy is that? Yeah. And, you know, it's just... that's. Like, I've seen, you know, again, in the in the broad model of history was simple before people made it complicated. It's like, is, is all this overlooking of the fact that people have always been people. People mm -hmm. will have the urge to explore and, and bond with people despite differences and fall in love and, and travel. And that's always been true, which means you can interpolate a lot of how things worked in the past by how they work now in the present. Yeah. And in the present, there is an amazing myriad ways of people... Who, who can like, of ways people can exist and function in the world and, and the urges they have and the drive they have to do things. And a lot of those things are things that people are like, no, no, that's weird. You shouldn't do that. Yeah. And that impulse has also always been there. Mm. There have always been people who don't get written about because people don't want to encourage other people to exist like that. Yeah. And that, that really bugs me. Part of the reason why history is simple is because people try and make it nice and clean, mm -hmm. depending on whatever their personal standard of societal cleanliness is, mm. which is why the Victorians enrage me like nobody else. Anyway. Yeah, I, I would, um, for a specific example... Um, from recently of what we talked about on the channel uh vikings you know it's it's hard enough to convince mm. people that not all scandinavians were vikings but apparently it's also harder to convince people that non-scandinavians were vikings because if you look at you know burial records written records there were a lot of people who hopped on board a long ship and you know went out to raid and trade who were not from scandinavia even slightly yep. um so i think just the diversity within an identity that you thought like oh it, it couldn't be more like exclusively northern european than the vikings guys no oh so More far broadly. from the truth so uh, that's another prime example of like you know the people who went all across northern europe and southern europe and the mediterranean and eastern europe and the north atlantic you think that they just stayed scandinavians buddy buddy yep <laughs> more broadly every time you examine something and think this is probably simple. You're wrong. That's just always yeah. true. I've learned this through many, many uh, experiences researching myths I thought I knew and figures I thought I understood and 
and intervals of time that I thought I had a pretty good grasp on. No, it is never simple because you know what history is made of? People, and people are always complicated. Even if like people on mass might act in semi-predictable ways, people individually act like people yep. and people do all kinds of crazy shit. And the thing is in the course of history, individual people periodically change the world, which yep. basically means that you, you can never get a simple grasp on these things because, mm -hmm. you know, one guy uh, being like, you know what? Screw this humble farm life. I'm going to join these mysterious Vikings and, and board their longship and sail for parts unknown. And suddenly you've got, you know, Eric the Red and people finding America 500 years before we thought they did and stuff like that. And, you know, history's never simple because it's made of people and people are complicated. Yep. That's that's all I really want people to understand. And Because otherwise they just keep getting blindsided by simple stuff. Like, did you know that people sometimes did things like stuff like we do? <laughs> what were the odds? It's like, oh, it's insane that, that we found this thing from this culture in this other location that they traded with on the regular. What does it mean? I don't, who, who can say? It's crazy how history is. Anyway. Or even weird. like within the past, and then we can move on to the next question because we're just getting into examples here. Even in the past like couple years <laughs> yeah, of archaeology, yeah. like why was this woman given a man's burial? It's like, guys. <laughs> we, we found by the shape of her pelvis that she was definitely a lady who lived life as one. That is enough information. And look, she was buried with a man's regalia. How strange this is. Yeah. And we found this diary where she said she should be called John Johnson. What does it mean? Yeah, or or even just, this woman was given a man's burial, but also some woman's stuff. What does it mean? Is it possible that ladies have been capable of kicking ass since before the invention of the Women's MMA League in whenever the fuck that happened? <laughs> this is impossible. Everyone knows old-timey ladies were princesses with cone hats and gowns. I love your impression of snooty, uptight archaeologists. <laughs> Thank you. I, too, enjoy imitating humans as one does. All right, next question. Let's go. Great. <laughs> I'm not even sure we answered that question. Well, uh, moving back on down then here, we've got another question from Petra Court Jester for both. When you do research on the history or legends of a place that has been colonized, is it challenging to find accounts and perspectives that aren't from the colonizers, but rather the people who actually lived there? As someone on Guam, it's annoying to see history books not challenge the Spanish accounts of colonization. And I think you guys kind of touched on this. How challenging is it to find yeah, those sources? Yeah, every day. <laughs> All the time. Yeah. I mean, just like, just, Red, you talked yeah. about it when you did the, um, the El Dorado video where it's like, you know, all of these like wonderful pre-Columbian cultures with their own, you know, writing systems and all of their mm -hmm. own stuff going on. That's like, what? What's all this unripe silver doing here? Yeah, get out of here, shoo, scram. And then suddenly it's like, oh, you've just destroyed everything. So yeah, I mean, yeah. even when, you know, uh, a colonizing force doesn't come in and just flip the tables on everything and turn the place into a diamond mine, even, you know, if that doesn't happen, it's still really hard to get, you know, the original sources or, you know, not even original sources, but like enduring sources from people who were there before, you know, who were there in the first place. So, yeah, no, I mean, yeah. it, it, I'm, I'm sure it's somewhat of a rhetorical question, uh, but no, yeah, it's impossible all the time. <laughs> Here's the fundamental issue. The only things we have available are the things that were preserved. And the only things that were preserved are the things that people thought they should preserve. And if you are colonizing a civilization, oftentimes the motivation explicitly behind that is to get rid of all the stuff in that civilization you don't like so they work for you better. Which is why, you know, you end up with 
the only records of, for example, uh, pre, um, pre-Christianization Irish folklore being monks writing stuff down in a very, very biased way. Yeah. They were like, we're curious about these stories, but we're not allowed to do anything without the Jesus stamp of approval. Mm-hmm. So we're just not going to record the originals because who cares? No one will be mad about this in 900 years. Yeah. So yeah, basically, um, the problem with history is that a lot of it doesn't get preserved, and if it's lost, it's lost forever. Yep. Like, you can interpolate stuff from other sources, but those sources have to exist too. And so many cultures had, you know, rich oral traditions where they would pass down the stories person to person, and nothing quite disrupts that, like, for instance, a generation of people getting wiped out yeah. by colonizers. Oral traditions <laughs> are incredibly strong, but incredibly fragile. Um the thing is, yeah. the idea that, uh, sorry, the, the idea that a culture is worth preserving is a bit controversial if you are trying to stomp all over them and take their gold. So most colonizing forces, even if they might have the impulse otherwise to be like, I wonder how their culture works, might tamp that stuff down so that they don't, you know, feel bad. And that's a real thing. Like, that is an actual thing that some of these colonizers would do. Like, they would actually kind of feel bad about this so they'd... They try and come up with justifications for why it was okay that they were treating these people so badly, which was usually no, it's fine. They uh, they these guys they look human, but um, they they don't have souls because they don't worship our god. So this is fine actually, and uh, they're basically philosophical zombies. They only look like they hate us. It's fine. So you know, co- colonization is a very very nasty process, and a lot of it is because it is based on essentially the systematic destruction of the culture that it invades. Because if that culture survives, they. They might give you trouble, and that's no good, which means that if there's a colonized nation, often the only stuff you can find from there is, you know, 100 or 200 years after the initial colonization when you've got, you're starting to get, like, generations of people who weren't as invested in stomping all over this place as they were in kind of, you know, asking Mm. questions about this place that has already been thoroughly stomped on, so we don't need to try stomping anymore. It's already pretty stomped. But, you know, I've always wondered what this pattern means and and what it means when they say this thing in this language I don't understand. So you get these records offset by 100 years written by the colonizers because, oddly enough, most civilizations do not think... I am about to get stomped all over by somebody who doesn't know or understand me, so I should probably keep a record of how I work in case people in the future are curious. I mean, isn't that basically how the five books of the Torah were written down after the first temple was destroyed? Everybody was like, okay, um, so that sucked. Uh, Zero out of five, would not recommend. (laughs) Um, While we're out and about... Let's take a second to just jot some notes. <laughs> I mean, that does not surprise me in the slightest. I didn't actually know that. But uh, if there's one thing that the Jewish people are familiar with, it's getting stomped all over by people who want them to stop existing. So, you know, taking precautions for that does make sense. But consider how unprecedented colonization was for basically everyone who it happened to. It's like, yeah, this boat full of people rolled up and they're, you know, they're milling around talking about stuff in a language we don't understand. And, uh, oh, they, they just, uh, they just killed our king. Uh, guys, what do we do? Oh shit. And that's the thing. Like, you don't know what's happening until it's happened. Mm-hmm. It's not but, like with the Vikings, you know, you started getting stories yeah. about, oh God, the Vikings are coming. That's terrifying. But you know, it's not mm-hmm. like, you know, European colonialism had stories being shared among the colonized peoples of like, I hear the, I hear the British are coming. You know, it One way, doesn't really happen in, in the time it would take to preserve that yeah. stuff. One way that I'll push back, but then also reinforce your point is that those things don't always happen like 
at first contact. Like the example of Hawaii, like Hawaii didn't get wiped yeah, yeah. off the map when when Captain Cook showed up. Like things started changing. In in certain respects, it you know ended up with positive outcomes where like language was introduced in a way that allowed you know Hawaiians to put down their oral culture into a textual form. That's a plus. But then you have Ooh. examples of like what you're saying about language where sometimes like in the case of, you know, England coming to um, Scotland, Ireland and Wales, like those three other places all kind of maintained their own languages for a while. And then it was only really in the 1800s when suddenly like the speaking of, you know, Irish and Scots Gaelic, Scots Gaelic was out a long ways before then. But like the speaking of like yeah. Irish Gaelic and the speaking of, of Welsh like went down really, really fast just because some attitudes changed in, you know, places of power and it's only you know a century later now in the early 21st century that like the speaking of you know Irish and Welsh is starting to come back up to like you know 1700s and before levels so it's it's not yep. always like people from outside arrive and then everything goes to hell it's it's a series of, of choices that are made that determine how these outcomes go. And, you know, there have only been, you know, so many big colonizing powers in world history, so a lot of times you can see some trends from across the board. But um, it's mm -hmm. not always like a universal, like, oh, they showed up and then it's game over. Because that, you know, that that feeds into the termination theory that, like, as soon as yeah, contact yep. is made, that was it. Like, there there is a, a process in which ways can be... You know, in, in which things can be made much worse, things can be made kind of better sometimes. So it's 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 always you know, in individually like the situation will will dictate a lot of of, of how things go. So um, it's I, it's frustrating, okay. but then even still, like with to... knowledge of like how like colonial you know processes work, it's not always the same. So the story in one place might be very different from somewhere else, and you can't treat everything like it's the same you know place. Yes, I wanted to bounce off that thing you mentioned about Captain Cook uh, because he's actually a really good example about my point here because um, when Captain Cook showed up, he had a lot of extremely nasty thoughts about how the Hawaiians worked uh, and he wrote them down, uh, which is why we actually have a record of how the hawaiian Ikane relationship, which I brought up in the Pride video, mm -hmm. uh, was a basically a, um, a sexual relationship between the king and people and the gender of those people didn't matter at all. And Captain Cook was like, ew, disgusting, I hate it, disgusting, it's gross. And then the king was like, hey, handsome, you're pretty cool, you should be my iconic. And he was like, fucking terrible, horrible, <laughs> it's nasty. So basically, that's ew. the only record we have <laughs> of the iconic relationship, because Captain Cook was so disgusted by this perfectly natural thing. And doesn't he look like an idiot in this year of our Lord 2020? But that's the point, like, usually the only record we get is really filtered because he was writing about how disgusting and like perverted this thing was because he was a fucking prudish idiot. But that's the point. Like he, he was, you know, he was writing about this culture, not in terms of how the culture worked, but in terms of how it offended him. That is why we cannot get unbiased accounts, even if it's like a slow kind of process, because, you know, the, these before it went full colonization and they were just doing trade with the Hawaiians, they were still writing extremely judgmental things about the Hawaiians. They didn't like respect their culture because the concept of respecting a culture is uh, surprisingly controversial throughout world history. And what this essentially means is that if you are trying to get an unbiased account, and sadly, unbiased accounts never exist, but if you're trying to get an account that is like less biased than cartoonish Disney villain yelling about how nasty the heroes are, you can't because, you know, if you're in a culture, you don't think to write down how the culture works. Like, who's writing an ethnography about how, you know, the U.S. functions right now? I mean, a lot of people are writing about how 
it works right now because right now is weird and people recognize that for historical purposes. But like, how many people are writing down our daily rituals for like a normal week or month of the day of our lives, stuff like that? This is why the most important records are things like people's diaries because they don't get written with bias. They're just a personal, well, they get written with personal bias, but like they're just people jotting down their personal experiences, priorities, thoughts, and it lets us interpolate how the society actually functioned. Whereas if you have a colonizing power writing records about the power they colonized, it's usually going to be from the bias of, and then we won because they sucked for some reason. <sighs> Overly anyway, sarcastic there, podcasts come for a discussion of the last couple of videos and uh, stay for the rants. <laughs> yeah, sorry. But, y you know, this really does frustrate me because I, I just want to know how this stuff oh, worked. Yeah. And, and nobody wrote it down because it was like a ritual tradition. What culture expects to be decimated except the Jewish people? You know, <laughs> it's like, listen, once it's happened, you know, twice, you're like, all right, let's let's prep. <laughs> let's make sure that the next time this happens, we've got like notes <laughs> rebuilding reserves uh, that's actually like, that. like uh, kind of a tangent but why are we doing a podcast of not for tangents um i was i was mm. walking by um uh, a jewish temple in my neighborhood and i was like it seems kind of weird that like you know a jewish community would decide to to go for architecture that looks like very roman like that's kind of a sour relationship and then cyan pointed <laughs> out like i mean it's kind of hilarious to be like, oh, who's laughing now, fuckers? <laughs> <laughs> Guess who still has temples and who doesn't? Yeah, um, so okay, I thought that we've was gone on this absolutely for way too hilarious. Long. Like, ha who's the one building your shit now? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and we're doing it willingly this yeah. time, fuckos. Anyway, uh, I think we've, we've, uh, we've shit-talked colonialism far too much already i mean you know there's never too much but let's let's uh, <laughs> too uh much for indigo, an hour do you have a question slot. for us that that does not involve uh takes of the hot variety <laughs> i feel like uh no <laughs> question on this podcast is ever free from the plague of hot takes that we have uh infected upon ourselves but i do have one that is unrelated to history unless it is the history Good. of osp <laughs> <laughs> Leslie Shoemaker asks, oh. to both red and blue, is there any story or reason behind the color you chose for yourself? Oh, um, I mean, it's not very interesting. Um, when I first made the channel, uh, the name I chose was a TV trope because I'd gotten super into TV tropes at the <laughs> time. And the trope I chose was red eyes take warning. And when the channel was still extremely small and I would like engage with the comment section more, people would just shorten it to red to talk to me. And I was like, yeah, that makes sense. May as well just, you know, keep the nickname I already have. Uh, and then when Blue joined the channel, we were like, well, we already have a color thing going. Why not Blue? It's, that's actually, and you can see that, that was... in um, in our channel trailer for 1,000 subscribers. Yeah. Uh, um, wow. Where it's like, I am, that. wait, what's my name? Are we going with colors? Uh, and then, you know, it was like, oh, yeah. I have blue eyes. Let's make me blue. Sure. Um, yeah. yeah. And well. then uh, the rainbow grew. Uh, as we needed to find ways to talk about all our friends without name dropping them 24-7. Uh, that's um, yeah, yeah. Uh, green. And who's that other roommate? Uh, also green. <laughs> also green. I love yeah. the kind of like background that's... implication that I, I, I don't think me and Blue have talked about this. I don't know if it's actually official in the channel, but we're like anyone who is vaguely related to blue is like a cool color. And anyone who's been vaguely related to red is like a warm color. I know we had I, that yeah, very briefly kind of a... and then we kind of dropped it because it, we, we started getting too many, <laughs> too many yeah, people we needed to refer to. <laughs> too many friends. I was like, okay, all yeah. anyone who I've ever been a roommate with, they're green. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which encompasses at this point, like fully like eight or nine people. <laughs> Yeah, you just moved. <laughs> anyway, um, great. <clears throat> well, following College up. College gives you roommates. <laughs> cool. uh, Bardic Inspiration asks, the OSP crew battles to the death. Who wins? 
Oh no. I, I think, I, think I have the most questions. martial arts training, but I am a little out of practice. If we have weapons, Cyan kills us all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cyan is terrifying with a sword. Let's just Yeah, I mean our um, our origin story was like we were at fencing practice and she <laughs> broke my saber. Like two minutes into yeah. a parry drill that is not known for breaking sabers. I just did a parry four and then my blade disassembled in my hand because like the blade yeah. snapped in the tang. Um, so yeah, it, she it, beat you so if hard, we have the sword weapons, disassembled into its component Cyan parts. takes it easily, just demolishes the lot yep. of us. But if, if it's unarmed, I think my odds are good. <laughs> Your odds are good, yeah. You have a lot more official martial arts training I have, than I hold do. on, we've, uh, we've, we've gone through this before. Uh, mostly Taekwondo yeah. with, um, some extra practice in, uh, Jiu-Jitsu, um, a little bit of Karate and Judo. Um, Red, you and I did Eskrima in martial arts club in high school, um, yep. Uh, yep. and then of course fencing um, there's also oh there are more that I did I did like a, a, a crash course in Muay Thai um, there, there's a handful um, I did Taekwondo again uh, <laughs> yeah uh, it, it all kind of blends into like mostly Taekwondo but like with some other other frills but yeah I, I, I can punch and kick <laughs> yeah when I was a, a kid my dad taught me uh, Tai Chi which is like the the slow chill version of Tai Chi Chuang, which is an actual martial yeah. art when you basically, it's just, you speed it up and it's like, Oh wait, that's a fucking karate chop. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I've got that basic muscle memory. I also did gymnastics for like three yeah. years, which I think just kind of gives me just a, an overall decent skill set for mobility. Um, and, uh, there was like our, our high school did these occasional little crash courses and just like random things for, for gym class. You could like select one. Oh, yeah, that's right. And there was like a six week one where it was just like, karate yeah <laughs> so i learned a little bit of that on time and it was interesting because tai chi is a soft martial mm -hmm. art and karate is a hard martial art and um like i was kind of feeling out how you know tai chi is very smooth but it really does like make you sore after a while because it, it's slow yeah. and slow movements are actually kind of hard like, like if you've ever tried to do a punching. slow push-up yeah yeah if you've ever tried to do a slow push-up it is agony uh and then karate it's like it's the same general space of movements, even like fundamentally, most martial arts block and punch the same way. Mm -hmm. uh, and most kicks are some variant of move leg out. Yeah. So it was like, oh, yeah, these synergize pretty well. I think that's kind of interesting. Uh, but yeah, in terms of like actual training, you've you've got me beat like by orders of magnitude. <laughs> it's just in terms of like who's, you know, who's keeping up and and who's still. <laughs> yeah. But then it's know, a numbers like the, game the because if everyone weapons. gangs up on me, I, I I don't think any amount of martial arts can can help me fend off like ten like, people at once. So I feel like we're missing some like it, yeah, details yeah. of fleshing like out the scenario. actually a drill. Yeah, like is this like a tournament arc bracket yeah, or like, like this is a Hunger Games situation I don't where know. we're all I, thrown I, into the woods? The question that really case, should have come prepared. Boy Scout skills <laughs> are kicking in. Yeah, yeah. I think um I don't know. There's there's so many questions like. Fundamentally, I, I think the main problem is we we wouldn't. I I don't actually like punching people. <laughs> so then it just comes down yeah, to who's willing to race to a headlock. Punch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like somebody gets someone in an armbar, and then that's basically it. <laughs> oh man, yeah. Uh, there was a there was a girl I knew in high school who was like, oh, I just learned this really cool joint lock. Let me show you. And I was like, what? <laughs> ah! <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, that that yeah. was fun. So you know, it's. I think we're both decently well equipped, but like you've also got like range on me, and I'm not trained in any of the martial arts that know how to like exploit being small and agile. Kick the shins, so. always kick the shins. 
Um, yeah, kick the shins, yeah. go for the torso, you know, stuff like that. Anyway, uh, this is just turning into a martial anyway. arts podcast. <laughs> All right, Indigo. Yeah, we're just talking about this, and then Cyan's like, I have a sword. I have range on both of you. <laughs> You're already dead. Uh, Indigo, do you oh, have uh, one or two more questions for us? Yeah, I got some. I got some, you know, we've, we've, we've been pulling some okay. questions for okay. a while. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, stuff. <laughs> yeah, some stuff. Um, Dragoria asks, yeah, right. if you were in Paris of Troy's position in the Golden Apple myth, what would you have said? Mm. Oh, but we've actually discussed this, haven't we? We have. <laughs> we have. We can't give uh, you the the full answer because that would involve um, spoilers for a thing we might yeah. do later. Uh, <laughs> but but uh, the short of it is, we choose um, a- Athena because. She's got the best chance of ensuring our survival afterwards. Yeah, because you want to be prepared for the other two coming after you. So the meme answer is, oh, you know, goddesses, how could a mortal such as I, you know, deign to to pick a winner? Does anyone have a knife? We can cut it up and everyone can go home with a piece. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the uh, that's the survival answer. But yeah. if you if you're willing to play out all of the shit, then you get Athena. Yeah. Because just think how much more effective Troy would have been with Odysseus on their side. Yep. I feel like I would just give anyway. the apple to myself, because if you don't have that self-confidence to declare yourself <laughs> the hubris even, they're like, it, it's now choose, mortal. <laughs> Which of us deserves this crunch? That's He's like, just like, oh, you this want is pretty it? good, actually. Go get it, and just yeet it the fuck into the woods. Straight smarts! <laughs> <laughs> the John Mulaney approach to Greek mythology. I love it. Yep. Um, and just to, just to wrap now it up. Now He's crying. <laughs> Uh, just to wrap it up with one last question here before we uh, sign off for this episode, we got a little follow-up to the oh-so-popular OSP time heist of last time. <laughs> uh, we kind of went over... Hell yeah. <laughs> we went over a little bit who our dream cast was. We laid out the plot of the movie. But um, underscore Finch asks, who would you entrust with the making of the OSP time heist movie? So who's our director? Who's our composer? Who we got on the city? You know, what's our... Mm. Let's Let's build this crew out here. Indigo, I know that okay. for composer, uh, there is no oh, answer Giacchino. aside from Michael Giacchino that you will allow. So, what? But gotta Hans go with Zimmer. him. He's no, my no, boy. No. Hans Zimmer. Hans Zimmer is good, but Michael Giacchino or Giacchino. Uh, okay, so little sidebar here. Uh, Giacchino, I, I thought think, it was. It's, it's CCH. See, that's what I thought too, but then he has like a, yeah. a, a translation on Wikipedia page that says Giacchino. So, we're going to just say Giacchino, mm. but Mikey, if you're listening, okay. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he liked a tweet of mine <laughs> Mikey once. Boy. And I, I lost my mind. Um, Whoa. And I know. Whoa. Uh, but yeah, I, I think he just has more of a range than Zimmer does. Like, I, you, there's so many things that if you're like, man, I really like this score, then you go look it up. It's it's Michael. And I feel like I can always kind of clock Zimmer mm. when I hear him, but Giacchino's just Yeah, because he has a well, fucking yeah, metronome yeah. in every one of his songs. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's either the metronome or the blah yeah. sound, oh, you know? Um, but, yeah. but okay, director, um, I think there are a lot of very good options. I, I'm trying to think of, like, who I know that does, like, you know, historical work or just like nonsense meme work. I oh no, Taika Waititi. What the I fuck is wrong say. with me? Of course it's Taika Waititi. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. But Taika Waititi, New Zealand's just... boy, he has to be the one. It's got to be him. Yeah, I was gonna say if there was some way we could get him to team up with Guillermo del Toro oh, yes. and just give us the most whimsical movie in, in existence. <laughs> But I, I feel like Del Toro's strengths don't really play to the time heist no. situation. No. It's, it's not whimsical enough. It's not fantastical enough. No, Waititi uh, would do yeah. an excellent time heist because he he knows historical dramas. He did Jojo Rabbit. 
<laughs> yeah, you did. It's true. Uh, what else was um, there? Indigo. We have composer. We've got director. We've got. Um, uh, well, there's other other. I mean, the cast <laughs> is Nicolas Cage playing everyone except for Anne Hathaway playing Caesar, so that's taken care of. Yes. Um, exactly. Yeah. Naturally. Well, I could I could go into the very minutia of different roles on set, but I feel like that's uh, gonna be flexing the film degree a little too much there. Um, so we got director, <laughs> composer. I mean, producers kind of who's gonna who's gonna bankroll this? Who are we getting to pay for the OSP time heist? I don't really know. Like, if we are we signing with the studio? Or are we going independent? I guess is a better question. Hey, patrons! Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> for the low, low price of nine billion dollars. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. that's. Mm-hmm. Uh, we well, uh, go for it. I mean, not the same question, but I, I was tweeting about this the other day um, after I uh, wished and wished with all my heart for a Cleopatra historical drama of, like, actual <laughs> historical accuracy to be made and to double down on Gal Gadot playing Wonder Woman by having her play uh, play Cleopatra. It was announced yesterday that Patty Jenkins, director of Wonder Woman, is making a Cleopatra movie with Gal Gadot, and I lost my fucking mind. <laughs> <laughs> We could have had world peace or an end to 2020's madness. <laughs> they had us in the first half, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah. The magical wish that we've granted. And I'm granted. so excited. And, and some people on Twitter were like, no, like you can't have because like you need an Egyptian. Like, I, I hate to break it to you guys. Cleopatra was Greek, so, um, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Cleopatra is like the only person for whom the argument of you shouldn't cast a white person to play this Egyptian character doesn't work. Yeah, like I'm normally, sorry. I, normally I, yes, I, but in this one very specific instance you actually gotta yeah, get if it's just the ptolemies yeah. you can count the ptolemies on like two two hands or something and because they kept it in the family yep. <laughs> you know that they were 100 percent greek yeah, at the end so there. like unless we're complaining means, about not getting a greek actress but like hey Gal Gadot has played greek before she's got the creds she's got it on her resume i think i mean so in yeah, addition yeah. to the time heist movie that is the other very important like <laughs> I'm going to call it OSP topic adjacent movie uh, actually in the works that I am so, so excited for because, oh man, if it's actually I... like accurate to how like cool and smart she was and wasn't just like, hello boys, did you know that I have boobs? Like it can be God. so good. <laughs> what were the odds? Yeah. Am I right? I think, okay, sorry, real quick, jumping back to how we bankroll it. I think gratuitous product placement, oh. like full on Bayformers yes. level. But like completely anachronistic. So Da Vinci, while he's like working on our ornithopter, is like, now hold on, everyone. I can't make any progress on this without the burst of energy from my monster energy drink. (laughs) (laughs) Always has it facing the camera. (laughs) Uh, Julius Caesar's like, how did you outrun me? It's impossible. And you show your like Nike high steppers (laughs) or whatever the fuck. (laughs) Oh, no. Swear by him. Oh, iconic. I think this plan is amazing, and we should o- totally always do it. <laughs> Be like, by the powers of our two flavors of Mountain Dew combined, <laughs> we'll be able to save the Library of Alexandria. <laughs> Cleopatra, how did you learn all of these languages? Well, you see, I have a subscription to Rosetta Stone, so it's easy with their <laughs> amazing software. Yeah. And thanks to Duolingo's <laughs> premium membership, I don't need to deal with any ads. The problem with bringing Duolingo in is then we do bring up the question of, is the Duolingo owl real, and can it affect the events of the movie? The Duolingo owl is Obviously, a the Duolingo owl... <laughs> the Duolingo Owl saves the day in the finale, and they're like, "Thanks, Duolingo! Your premium subscription is very reasonably priced." Don't forget to keep up with your Spanish lessons. Uh, Ooh. 
No, so what happens is, like, yeah. they have to get into this room, but the door is locked and they can't break in. The Duolingo owl figures out that someone on the other side of that room hasn't been keeping up with their Latin lessons, and it's like, <laughs> Salway, motherfucker. <laughs> or alternatively, that's how they get Julius Caesar. Like, oh, my God. He's like, you fools. How can you stop me? It's like, Julius, we've just been stalling for time. You see, the clock just struck midnight. You've missed a day of your Japanese lessons. <laughs> A shadow looms from the darkness. A single hoot echoes in the night. The owl's like, oh my We never see Julius Caesar again. <laughs> Julius Caesar's like, nani? What does that mean? I love, I love the idea. If I'd been keeping up with my Japanese, I'd know what that meant. <laughs> I love the idea of the Duolingo owl having the same uh, general vibe as Batman in that scenario. Yeah. <laughs> At one point, like, Caesar's cornered and he's like, so de wa do, kana. <laughs> Uh, oh Jesus! That's like the one phrase of Japanese that I use all the time. Red, since you showed me that video of um, this is so far off topic. Sorry, we but... cannot use this in the podcast. <laughs> no, we absolutely have to. I would love to talk about Yu-Gi-Oh! Season Zero with you. <laughs> okay, we're gonna. But I'm gonna um, table us because original... I just heard Yu-Gi-Oh! Season okay, Zero okay, come okay, up, okay. and <laughs> as much as I deeply want to discuss Yu-Gi-Oh! on the podcast, that's gonna be another 20 minute discussion, and I think we're just coming up on time uh, now. All right, yeah. all right. Fine, we'll save it for another day. Stay tuned, listeners. One of these days, we'll discuss the forbidden season. <laughs> uh, we don't get sent to the Shadow Realm first. So, uh, is, Season Zero is, doesn't play no weak shit like the Shadow Realm. Uh, is this... Is this In Season Zero, you die or go is crazy. Is the end of our episode? Sorry. Anyway. We have gone... We, we were good, and then, like, again, I think there's an energy to this OSP movie question that just throws us off the rails. We were so serious with all the colonialism stuff, and then the minute it was like, how would you guys fight each other? It's just, it went crazy. It's, it really is the two that sides the of OSP. Of it's like, we're so professional when we talk about... Well, yeah. We're so, like, <laughs> not amateur when we talk about like our jobs and stuff and then it's like hey osp i know that you guys like do your thing but like let me ask you about this fresh nonsense and we're like okay and then we just go <laughs> okay yeah yeah Oh, magnificent. All right. All right. So, um, uh, thank you all so much up. for listening. If you want more of that sweet, sweet OSP content, you can go check out our channel on YouTube. Uh, you can go follow us on Twitter at OSP. You can join our Discord to ask us questions for next week's episode. Uh, until next time, I've been blue. Oh, yeah, because <laughs> I was supposed to. I've been red. Sorry. And this has been. We have a little script notes oh, here. Uh, here, do you want to take the end of it or should I just? Okay. No, no, it's fine. We just have a little script notes. I was wondering if you were going to notice until you hit until next time. I've been yeah, red. Whoops, sorry. Uh, until next time. I've been it's blue. All good. I've been red. And this has been an overly sarcastic podcast. Thank you for listening to the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. We'll be back on October 28th for a very spooky episode. If you enjoyed the OS Pod, please rate us five stars and drop a review. It helps other folks find the show and makes all us OS peeps feel warm and fuzzy inside. For questions for the OS Pod, follow the link to the Discord in the show notes and head to the Ask OS Pod channel, now open 24-7. Want more OSP? Follow the links in the show notes, check out our YouTube and Patreon both chock full of pontifical memory and miscellaneous myths. Until next time, thanks for listening.